We are celebrating with a guest today. If anyone listening has ever written a book, you know the feeling. Our guest has a book releasing in the next few weeks called Stop the Break from Surviving to Thriving and Catching Fire in Life. Man, doesn't that sound familiar to my Direction Not Perfection community? We are most definitely fighting for thriving. Life is too short to just survive it without finding that true joy or intentional moments and intentional relationships. The hard part about truly thriving is that it typically means that we have to become vulnerable. We have to let others in, even ask for help when needed. Oh, I know it sounds terrifying. Our guest, whom we will be celebrating with today, Janet Barrett, is here to talk about the importance of vulnerability and sharing our stories and finding that deep connection with others. One of the glaring things that needs to change in order to make this progress or keep making these deeper connections and thriving through our days is changing the social norms around mental health. And you might be asking, why do I think that this is important for our community? Aren't we more focused on nutrition and fitness and plugging away at our health journey? Yes, but, I love that word, yes, but in order to truly thrive, we need healthy body and mind, healthy body and brain, physical and emotional. It's hard to work on our emotional state if we feel like we're being judged or we don't feel like it's an acceptable, safe place to be working through our stories and working through our belief systems. I think that it takes being a little further along in your health journey to really understand the drastic importance of working on your mental health and your physical health. It's both, right? So if you have been working on your emotional health this year, I feel like this would be a really great episode to stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining me. I am your host, Lindsay House, registered dietitian, private trainer, accountability coach, author. I have been working with clients for over 13 years, passionately changing the culture of health and fitness. I'm out here smashing scales, helping individuals rewrite the rules to what success looks like in their life. I want to change generational thinking, no more all or nothing mentality, get rid of the diets and believe in the individualized journey. We are stronger than we will ever accept and beautifully made just the way we are. Keep your eyes on your own paper and trust your own path. Thank you for trusting me and letting me be a constant encouragement through your week. Let's get this motivation started. Welcome to your podcast, Direction Not Perfection. I am so excited to introduce our community today to Janet Barrett. She is here to slay the stigma around mental health and how we treat it, how we identify with it, and how we help others to thrive. She explains that most of us are just going through the motions in life and enduring life not necessarily enjoying it. She also teaches us that we're not alone, the magnitude of mental health crisis and the importance of early identification, the potential for positive results and actionable ideas to stop the break from happening to anyone else. Welcome, Janet. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I am so excited to be here. Oh, I just want to dive right in today because I feel like our time's going to fly and I have so much to ask you. But I think that our community is really going to resonate with the stigma part around mental health and why why is there still such a stigma around mental mm-hmm. health? 
You know, it is somewhat fascinating to me that there is still such a stigma. I mean, the stigma actually happened eons ago when we had no understanding of how the brain worked. So if somebody acted somewhat differently, and I'm literally talking about the dark ages, we would literally put them in a cave and hide them away until we didn't have to deal them with them anymore because they probably perished in some natural disaster. And that kept going even into Victorian ages. If you think about how we had witches burning at the stake and things like that, those started as people that may have seen something a little bit differently or acted a little bit differently because something was going on. And we took that to be anything happening with your brain was completely foreign to us. We did not understand it. And so we just put it in a box. We would not deal with it because it was just too scary. And that has continued on to where we as a society are like, you know, we're just going to present that I'm okay. It's not that bad. I can keep going. You know, the perfect example now is the Instagram life where you have to be Insta worthy to post something. And even if you're having a bad day, people will post it, but they post it in a funny way which is like, oh, it's bad, but ha, ha, I can handle it. It's not that bad. I mean, my life, you know, oh, it's so funny. I just roll with the punches. Everybody has to show that they can just absorb all of the stress, the trauma, the anxiety that is happening to them. And they can feel, you know, oh, I'm, I'm resilient. I can bounce back. I can do whatever I want. And that has just carried on literally from that very beginning of humanity until now. And we know more about it now. So we are able to identify things and treat things. But that's from a medical standpoint and from a psychological standpoint. What we have not done is change the social norms around it. So we can put PR out there, but it's not going to move the needle. What is going to move the needle is people coming out and being willing to share their stories and their process and what they did and how they got through some of their struggles. And it doesn't have to be major struggles. Every time that I talk to somebody or I post something that people consider vulnerable on social media, I will get dozens of messages, but they are always private messages. They are not public messages. They are people saying, I'm so glad you said that. I have gone through something similar. And it just, it's so nice to know that I'm not alone. And so the more people we have that are willing to take that step forward, that's when it starts to become normalized. But it needs to happen before you hit a break. So the people that we most often hear about are actually people like me who really broke and realized they were broken way before then. They just were taught to ignore it. It will go away. It will be fine. And then they break. They, it gets so bad that they can't deal with it anymore. They break. They fix themselves. And then they come out and say, hey, guess what? This is a problem. I didn't deal with it for a long time. But now I'm letting you know I support mental health policies. I support this. I support that. But what I want people to know is that we need to talk about it way, way earlier than that because we shouldn't have somebody breaking. We shouldn't let it get until that point. We have to change that stigma around it. And it's by normalizing and talking about these things that, I mean, they are, they're really hard to talk about. And I know a lot of your listeners are very aware of their health. They are very aware of their physical health, 
But the other thing that I really learned around this is how tied your physical health is to the mental state that you have. So I went through a lot and I can talk about that in a little bit. But when I was recovering, I, I love to Google. I could be an Olympic Googler if you actually put that as a category in the Olympics. And I needed to understand why wasn't I able to bounce back from this? I thought I bounced back from everything before this. And it's when I came across Dr. Vander Kolk. He wrote The Body Keeps the Score. And he, and this was decades ago, identified that there is a link between your mind and your body. And if you break that link and try to suppress your emotions and try to keep it all inside of you, if you break that link, your body is going to reflect it. It's going to keep the score and it's going to start showing you in ways that you might not be aware. You might gain weight. You might start getting really random muscle cramps. I had things show up in odd ways. When I was in second grade, I had ulcers. By the time I was in fifth grade, I had so many canker sores, it was in the dozens. This was my body trying to say, you have to realize something's going on. You have to fix this. And I... I was, you know, second grade and fifth grade. I didn't know what was going on. I never dealt with it. And so it just kept going. All right. We need to like rewind a little and unpack a little bit of this. One, I think we do need your whole story because I mm -hmm. think people can hear something was hard or traumatizing and it helps everybody to put it in their own head of what that would mean in their life. Um, but the other thing is when you say talking about or communicating openly, you have four kids. I'm picturing yes. like it starts maybe within our own family, even of being very open with our kids on emotions. And can you kind of go into, is it friend talk? Is it kid talk? It's social media. Is it all of it? When we talk about being more open? So I would love it to be all of it, but I think you're right. I really think it has to start at home and kids learn how to be comfortable with things first with how they see things at home. So if you're not comfortable with something, chances are your child is not going to be comfortable with something. And we all have parents. We all have families. And so we have to be the ones that kind of set that example. And even if you don't have children, you have a family, you came from a family, and you can work with that family and work on sharing your story and your emotions. Is it easy? No, it is really hard. And I tell people a lot, when I talk to my kids, I always focused on honesty at the appropriate level. So the way that I might explain something to a seven-year-old is going to be significantly different than how I would explain it to my 17-year-old. And I have four kids. So I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old boy. And then I have twin girls that are 13. So I had four kids in three years and three months. And they learned very early on that there is one of mom and four of them. And they had a couple of choices. They could wait for me. They could do it themselves or they could find somebody else to help them. And so we got really good about being open and talking about logistical things. And, you know, you got to wait, you've got to do this. And I tried to be really open 
about um, emotional things as well. And I was not as good as I thought I was. Um, and I didn't realize that until I went through my break. So I will tell you what um, kind of the snapshot, I guess, of my story. Not that it's really that short, but I will try to make it as short as possible. Um, so I always start at the end. So when I was 49, I asked my husband a very simple question, and he gave me a very simple answer. Both of them were five words. I said, are you having an affair? And he said, yes, I am seeing someone. And it crushed me. I literally ended up on the floor of my closet crying because I didn't want my kids to find me. He did not want to try and make the marriage work. And so we made a choice together that it would take a couple of months for a variety of reasons before we wanted to tell the kids. And so we had to work through all of the logistics. And because he had kind of already moved on, it wasn't crushing for him. But for me, it was. And I focused on the things that were right in front of me. Okay, I need to sell the house. I need to find a place to live. I need to find out how to tell my mom I'm getting a divorce for the second time. I need to figure out how to eat. I need to figure out how to sleep because I couldn't eat anymore. I couldn't sleep at the lowest. I'm so I'm five foot six and I didn't even weigh 100 pounds. I was very lucky. I had a great doctor and he gave me some medication to help me sleep and to help me eat, which took a few months to work, but it did end up finally building up in my system so that I was okay. And that was kind of the first step to moving out of that break. And then, as I said earlier, I am an obsessive compulsive Googler. I started Googling everything I could about how to recover and why was I not able to just take this on. And what it basically uncovered was that I had five decades of trauma that had just built up over time. So I mentioned earlier, I was brought up, I was born in 71. And most of this research that I'm, I talk about didn't happen until the 2000s. So I had 30 years of my life where nobody really understood this. And society at that point was very much a, you know, kids should be seen and not heard. It should be, you know, like the Von Trapp family. You sing when you go to bed and you just, you know, it magically happens and it's just a beautiful thing. And so my mom, who I love dearly, um, but she parented just like everybody else at that time. I would go to her and I'd be like, mom. My, I have two older brothers. My brothers are bugging me. They're, you know, picking on me. And she'd say, oh, just ignore them. They'll, you know, they'll stop doing it. Well, they never did. They always bugged me. They still bug me to this day. We still have family reunions. They still walk into the kitchen, hit me on the side of the head. And I'm like, mom. And she's like, really? I'm now in my 80s. Do you still have to yell for me? So, but that was the, the approach that I took to a lot of things. I didn't grow up in a very, you know, wealthy family. We had, um, we worked really hard to get what we had. And so when I went to grade school, to kindergarten, there were these girls that didn't like me. And I had no idea why. And 
I, for literally my entire grade school career, they tormented me until I got to sixth grade and my best friend was invited to a sleepover. And she came back and she's like, Janet, you wouldn't believe this. Like, what? They have a hate book about you. Me? They have a hate book about me? What in the world have I done? I was like, okay, they've never liked me. I'm just going to ask. I'm like, okay, well, what is it? What is it that, what did I do? I can take it. And my best friend looks at me and she's like, well, you smile too much and you're too nice. They think you're fake. I'm like, what? I'm literally too nice and I smile too much. And part of that was, that was the way that I handled my nervousness. I smiled to cover it up. Oh my goodness. I don't really know how to handle this. Okay. I was told to be nice. That's the wrong thing. I was told to, you know, ignore it and it'll go away. That doesn't work. All right. So I went into seventh grade and oddly, I went to a different school. There was some redistricting, long story. And somehow I went from being the completely shunned person that was apparently too nice and smiled to being part of the popular group. And that really gave me a lot of confidence. So with that confidence, I decided to finally talk to somebody about something that I had been ignoring for years. And I went into the school guidance counselor's office and I sat down. I was ready to go. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. And I told him about the sexual abuse that I had been experiencing throughout grade school. I was so happy. I finally got that stress off of my shoulders. Oh, I mean, I literally can't tell you. I felt like I was floating. And he looked at me and he was like, you're lying. I know who you say did that. They would never do that. And the floating feeling I had, I came crashing down, devastated, and realized, you're right. Nobody is ever going to believe me. It's what my abuser told me, and it was true. Nobody was going to believe me. So what I had been doing for years, I kept doing, and I hid that trauma. I pushed it down. I started drinking in seventh grade. In eighth grade, I started having boyfriends, and one of my very first boyfriends, another odd story, but the short version of it is he was in a boy's home, which is like a juvenile detention home um, where they do have some freedoms to go out into the public, and he was in there because of a family situation. And so I met him. We sort of dated. I ended up breaking up with him, and the night that I broke up with him, he completed suicide and he blamed me. Couldn't tell anybody because then that would show that I had done something wrong, clearly, because I caused someone to literally take their own life. I was in eighth grade. So I drank even more. And I actually forgot about the suicide. I forgot about the abuse. I completely suppressed it. I went through high school however high school goes. I went through college and halfway through college, I ended up getting engaged. And it was not to a person that I should have ever married. As we were going through the year of planning the wedding, 
I was realizing, you know, this is really not for me. I really should get out of this. Didn't know how to get out of this mistake that I had made. And the pressure kept mounting and I was literally seconds away from being able to say that this was not the right thing for me. And then I got a letter in the mail and I opened it up and it was from my abuser asking for my forgiveness. I had forgotten about it and suppressed it so much that when I opened that letter, everything came flooding back. And I was so overwhelmed and so emotionally, like in a tidal wave of emotions that I couldn't deal with breaking off the wedding. So I ended up getting married, but it also allowed me to stop drinking, which was nice because that was what I had been using to kind of numb everything. But I ended up in a marriage that I didn't want with 30 kind of approaching, like, no, I actually do need to do something. And I finally pulled myself together enough to say to my husband at the time, I want a divorce. And it was so much of a high school, college relationship. And it was not an adult, real relationship. We had no children. We didn't have anything between us. So um, it was a very simple process. And I kept moving on. And I ended up meeting this great guy. And we got married. We had those four kids in three years and three months. And that's a lot. And I worked full time. He worked full time. I learned that the way to survive was to put my head down and just go, to not think about it. And so I did. I kept plowing through and plowing through. And I knew that there were problems outside of that. And I tried to take care of them. But my husband, he wasn't on the same page on wanting to work through them and wanting to take care of them and to address them. And so I kept thinking, okay, if I just push through a little bit longer, if I just get through to this next thing, everything will be better. And it never was. And I never took the time to simply address what was going on. And it was at the end of that that I ended up standing in the bathtub hemorrhaging because I had so much stress built up that my body was like, we've been screaming for decades at you, trying to give you all of these medical problems, all of these issues. You're not listening. Maybe you'll pay attention to this. And within two months of that was when I said to my husband those five words, are you having an affair? He was, and that was when I broke. That was when I couldn't do anything anymore. My body had already collapsed, and now mentally it was like, okay, we're done. You cannot keep piling it on. It's been five decades of you putting your head down and going and never dealing with it. And that's that's when I figured it out. So I have two things because I feel like I want to hear now like the next part. But before we do that, I think what's interesting is our listeners could listen like you had so many components to your story that 
anyone could resonate with just even one small part of that. Like the person who is just putting their nose to the grindstone and going and just ignoring Mm -hmm. everything else. And I loved how you were mentioning our body keeps the score because we, in those seasons of life, we can feel like it's fine, but it is catching up with us at some point. So it's like, now's the time to open our eyes and be insightful And, and the other part is the trauma part and how many individuals live with different forms of trauma. There's no judgment on who has it worse, who has it better, who has, but like, if you don't address it, body's keeping the score. So Mm -hmm. I just, I guess I'm pausing for a minute to let our listeners kind of fully absorb everything you just said. And just, even if there's one small component that you're going, man, I really resonate with that. It's probably your little red flag that goes, we need to address this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you're going to take us into this next part of what does addressing it look like and mean. But I just want to keep pulling everybody on board with us because this really, most people thankfully don't have it as hard as you. I can't, I can't even imagine everything that you've been through and I'm so sorry. Thank um, you. But it, but it doesn't have to be that drastic for somebody mm-hmm. to be struggling as much as you're struggling too, or we're struggling. So again, now floors back to you. What's this next phase of I broke and then? So I love what you talked about, about how there is a spectrum for everyone of what you go through. And mine has a degree. I don't know what the degree is. I There's people that have it harder than I have people that may have it easier, but everybody has something. And somebody said to me recently, oh, I feel so bad about complaining about this. It's a first world problem, but it's your problem and it's okay. You don't have to be in a famine or, you know, anything really significant. I have friends that have lost children, which is completely unimaginable to me. You can have anything you still need to deal with it. Something little, you still need to deal with it. So to your part about like, what do you do next? Okay, so what I found is that there's really three principles that you need to understand just kind of about life in general. And these are the things that I actually now focus on with my kids. So that thought about how do we get this out there? How do we communicate it? These are the things that I really want to make sure my kids and everybody understands. And the first one is what I call one size does not fit all. So one of my challenges as a child is that I'm a big emotion person. When I feel something, I feel it big and I express it big. And if you're listening to this, you can't see me, but I, I, my hands are waving in the air. My body is moving. I am a person that when it comes to me, it just, it feels very, very big. And some of my kids are like that. Some of my kids aren't. Some of my kids don't express things in a big manner. Doesn't mean they don't feel it in a big manner, but they don't express it that way. Whatever it is, it's fine. One size does not fit all. But when I was growing up, feeling and expressing things in this you know, major ex- excited manner, it wasn't okay. Again, see, but not hear. And we need people to understand that it's okay. However, you need to feel and express whatever level is appropriate for you is what you should do. 
The next part is what I call the halo hula hoop. So if you imagine a hula hoop around you and it's swinging around, there's nobody else inside that hula hoop with you. Everybody else is on the outside. All you can control is what is inside your hula hoop. Anything that's inside there, that's what you should think about. Your emotions, your feelings, your reactions, not what anybody else says, does, or feels. You cannot control it. You can impact them with how you do something, but what they choose to do with that is on them. You do not choose that for them. And my kids um, really get annoyed with me on this one because I'm sure you've all done it. I did it when I was a little kid. I say, well, so-and-so told me to do it or so-and-so made me do it. And my parents always responded, well, if so-and-so told you to jump off a bridge, would you? Well, no, of course not. I actually respond a little bit differently to my kids. So I say to my kids, wait a minute, hold on. So-and-so controls your mind and your body? Hold on. This is game-changing. I am in. I want their name. I want their number. Because if I can control your mind and body, I'm taking it over. Because these chores are going to get done way faster. Oh, my gosh. I am so... And they will roll their eyes like, Mom, you know. I was like, well, then don't try to use it as an excuse. They do not control you. You control you. So everything that's inside that hula hoop, that's what you control. So that's the second principle. And then the third principle is um, talking about the connection between the mind and the body. And that emotions do need to be physically expressed. And I think it's really easy to see that when you're looking at those positive emotions. So positive emotions, we laugh, we smile, we, you know, we might jump up and down, throw our hands in the air, our team scores a goal, woohoo, you know, anything around that people are in general okay with. Now, there are people that want you to suppress that as well because you shouldn't make anyone feel too bad. You don't want them to, you know, feel like they aren't as accomplished as you if you're bragging or something like that. But people are okay with that. But that is your body actually releasing that emotion. Sadness, that's also kind of okay on the spectrum. You let it out with tears. And you let it out, you know, physically when you're doing that. And usually your body will actually get involved where it will kind of close in on itself and be like, okay, I need to just hold myself, make myself okay. The one that really stymies everyone and really stymied me for decades is anger or any other really negative emotion. And I actually had never heard this concept before the last couple of years. And when I did, honestly, my first reaction was like, yeah, right. I haven't expressed my anger for decades. And oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'm not doing that well. So let's explore it. And when I did, there is a lot of science behind it. And I will go very quickly into the science that uncovered this. And it's called learned helplessness. And it was a study done, um, I want to say it was in the 90s, and it was actually done on dogs. It kind of makes me sick to talk about because I'm a very big animal lover. But the study that was done um, was done with a couple of different sets of dogs. 
and they put them on these electrically charged pads. And there were dogs that weren't tied to anything. They set off the little electric shock. The dog ran. The dog's like, I am out of here, not going to stick around for this pain. Then there were dogs that were actually in cages and they couldn't get away. And they felt the shock and they were shocked, but they couldn't get away. And after a couple of times, the dogs didn't even jump. They just sat there and let it happen. The next thing they did was they took those same dogs out of the cage, put them on the shock pad. They were free to go. They did the shock again. And those same dogs sat there and let it happen even though they were free to go. They didn't know that they could get away from that pain. They didn't know that that was an option for them. Even though they had walked freely in, they could walk around. When that shock happened, they literally sat there. The researchers then found out that in order to fix that, they had to show the dogs when the shock was happening, they put a collar on and they'd have to physically pull them off. And it wasn't just once. They had to do it multiple times for the dogs to reconnect their body that's being shocked with, I can leave. They didn't, they had broken that. They had learned to be helpless. And that's what a lot of us do when we suppress that physical reaction that we have with anger or disgust or horror or whatever. And I did that learning in grade school when I was being sexually abused, I was like, nope, okay, just let it happen. You'll be fine. Just keep going. Just ignore it. You will be fine. And my body was like, it's not fine. That's why I started having ulcers. That's why I started having canker sores. That's why all of these other things. And it just kept building and building until I finally learned that you need to actually physically express your emotions. So those are the three things. One size does not fit all. There's a hula hoop and you, that's all that you can control. And then the third thing is that you have to connect that mind and the body. And then you have to take those three things and do something with it. So what I recommend in my book is that you actually somehow document what you've been through and the traumas. And it can be in in-person therapy. It can be done through journaling. I go into fairly good detail around how to do it, but you just need to get that down. Then you actually need to identify the emotion that it triggers. And I thought this was really interesting because I have four kids. We love Disney Pixar movies, saw Inside Out, and there's five emotions. Mm -hmm. There's actually not only five emotions. There are 27 unique emotions. And you have different reactions in all of them there. It's kind of a spectrum, you know, some are very similar, but you need to go and kind of learn what those emotions are, what your reaction is, how that relates to the trauma that you've experienced, and then take those. And if it's still something that is bothering you, actually express it physically. Now, here is where that first principle of one size does not fit all. And the third principle really have to be taken together and really thoughtfully considered because I am a big emotional expression person. So when I need to express my anger, I need to do it in a big way. But that can't always happen in the moment because it's not safe. And I will give um, 
kind of an example of how I came to really understand that. When my nine-year-old son came to me and said, Mom, I think the world would be better off without me. And it is still really hard to talk about that. It crushed me. I was, I had to be strong as a mom because he had come to me. He needed help. I just wanted to bubble wrap that kid and be like, no, 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 no. There's, you know, you're fine. You're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. I'm like, he is asking for help. He is clearly struggling. I also am not the right person to help him. And so my ex and I found a therapist for him to talk to. And he uncovered that my nine-year-old thought he was a bad person because he had bad thoughts about other people. Bad thoughts such as, I hate my brother. He bugs me. Um, you know, that person, you know, cut me off when we were getting into the line and they should, you know, I should hit them. And he thought those thoughts, just the thought made him a bad person. And he thought no one else had those thoughts. So kind of going back to making sure kids understand and your own family understands. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, I didn't teach you that. I didn't tell you that. I didn't. and. Honestly, when that first happened, I don't think I ever even thought about that. And I don't know when I learned it, but that's something that a lot of people, when I tell them about it, they're like, oh my gosh, you're right. We never talk about this, that it's okay to have those thoughts. What's not okay is to act on them. So having the thought, I hate my brother, I wish he'd die, no problem. Killing your brother, that's bad. Don't do that. But having that thought and that emotion, at some point in time, you need to get it out. And I found a couple of different things, and I kind of fell into that. Um, but I ended up finding a woman that was a social worker and a personal trainer. And we created this program for me to do um, some sort of physical exercise with her while also talking about the trauma that I was going through. So I'll give you an example. Um, she showed up at my house and um, these would be 20 minute sessions. And she started talking to me about something that was going on. And I was jogging around a little bit, getting warmed up. She's like, okay, tell me about what's going on. So I was telling her about what was going on, getting my body engaged. She gives me a medicine ball and she's like, all right, I want you to really tell me about what was going on. And we would get it down to a certain phrase of, you know, I'm, I don't want to use that language on the thing, but like, you darn jerk, you darn jerk. And I would take the medicine ball in my hands and I would lift it up above my head and I would slam it down on the ground while yelling, you darn jerk, you darn jerk. And I threw that medicine ball down so hard that it actually rebounded and hit me in the face. This is a ball that's not supposed to bounce. No. That is how big that emotion was that needed to come out. And so I want people to find safe ways to express their emotion and actually plan time in their schedules to do that. And it doesn't actually take that much time. I do it with my kids. We've got a punching bag here. Some of them like to punch pillows. Some of like the punching bags. Some people like to um, throw things. Like whatever it is that works for you. And there's I've got a list in my book of options that you can have. Whatever works for you, that's what you use. 
Because again, one size doesn't fit all. One approach doesn't fit everybody. But everybody actually has that connection that needs to be made. And you need to be able to let it really go out of your body in order for everything to be healthy and for everything to work together. And I will tell you, for me, I dipped way down on the weight scale. And I've kind of been a yo-yo person my entire life. Since I've done this, I have been able to reduce the amount of stress eating that I do because normally I'm a stress eater. When I broke, I became a person that couldn't eat anything. But normally I'm a stress eater. Now, I almost never stress eat. And I feel like my body is like, okay, you finally figured yourself out. You have released that. And that mental stress that you are enacting physically is gone. And so you don't need to. And my weight has actually balanced out. And it's a very comfortable weight. I am happy with where I am. Could I be lighter? Yes, if I wanted to be a model, but I'm not going to be. My body is a good weight for me. And I feel so much better doing that. But I will also tell you that it is something that I have to practice ongoing. I would love to say I worked through all of that and now I'm fine and you know it's all good. But I have to remind myself that, no, you have to come back to this. You have to still, you know, practice this. And when things bother you, because they do, you have to address them. Right. I think you hit the nail on the head with this because there's so many times that we beat down different doors or similar doors trying to get a result that we're seeking and we're never hitting the root of the problem. Exactly. And sometimes it's because we don't even know how to go about getting to that root. And sometimes it's that we don't want to look there yet. And this is what I want to make sure that we celebrate your book. Cause I feel like your book and just hearing you say there's prompts for journaling and there's ideas and this would be an example for individuals to be like, it's a starting point to grab something like this and to get those thoughts on paper. Like that's what Janet's doing for us is taking us through that. I don't even know where to start moment and going, here you go. <laughs> Here's your roadmap. And so what's really cool is that I'm getting to talk to you today before your book releases next month, which I'm so excited for you. And I just want to like take this moment to sit in this and celebrate and like let you know that when you open your box of books and hold it for the first time and then get to go out and change lives. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I'm, I'm thrilled for you. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. I am definitely looking forward to that day. It'll be February 15th that it's actually available. Um, but for your listeners, if you want to go to my website, which is www.stopthebreak.life, you can actually sign up and um, win a free signed copy. I will be giving out two a month. And so you can go out and you can sign up uh, and register to win one of those and I will ship it to you directly. So the first two will actually go out the week before my launch. So you could get it before February 15th. And then there will be two a month after that for the first year of the book's life. That is awesome. I will put all of your information in our show notes as well. So our listeners can just click and go try to win a free copy. That is amazing. You're doing that. Thank you. I always like to send our guests off with, can you give us that last moment of, man, if if people heard nothing else from you today and you were wrapping your arms around them and pouring all your love on them, what would be that one takeaway that you're like, please hear me? 
Oh, so the takeaway that I hope everyone hears is that everyone has trauma, stress, anxiety, issues. Everyone has something going on. And I hope that everyone has someone that they can talk to about it. And if they can't, that they find a way to deal with that because they're not alone. We're here. I'm here. You're here. And I want them to reach out if they can't find someone in their own life to know there are people out there and there are ways to get help because I guarantee you, you are not the only one to go through this and you should not ever suppress it. You should absolutely deal with it so that you're not just surviving and, you know, dealing with whatever stresses in your life that you can actually move past that and begin thriving. So I want everyone to know they're not alone. I love that. Truly. Thank you for your message today. Thank you for your vulnerability and honesty. Thank you. And yes, one, one step at a time, one person at a time being open and it's catching it's, it's slow, but it's catching. (laughs) That's how we will slay the stigma. If we can take one person at a time, it will turn. Thank you for listening today. Whether you are working with me personally or just letting these podcasts speak into your life, I truly appreciate you trusting me on your journey and I will always have some free materials waiting for you on my website at healthaccountabilitycoach.com. I have habit trackers, meal planning worksheets, blank calendars where you can track your daily successes. Come check it out and always feel free to reach out if you need any referrals, if you are seeking your own accountability, or if you just want to say hello and provide your beautiful insight and feedback. I appreciate your valuable time and listening ears. Thank you for joining me today. If this topic served any purpose for you, or you can picture that exact person who needed this, I'm always honored when you share the episode. We are making 2023 the year that we are going to pour motivation and inspiration onto others. I also always appreciate it when you leave a review on iTunes and rate the podcast. I send you off with all the praise and momentum you deserve for staying open-minded to new information, keeping an open mind to the idea that our journey will look different now, five years from now, slow and steady y'all it's not always instant gratification and not always that exciting but a much gentler and redeeming path that will serve you well throughout all the years and every season of life cheers to health and happiness